Hello everyone and thanks for tuning into the second episode of BTG Legal's podcast. I am Pratik Bakshi and today we will be discussing financial fraud investigations in India. I'm joined by Prashant Mara, partner and Devina Deshpande, senior associate in the business crime team at BTG Legal. Jumping right in, an investigation into an alleged fraud can expose a company to risks that could result in financial and reputational damage and also impact shareholder value. Prashant, can you set the stage for our conversation by giving us an overview of the trend in financial frauds in India today? Sure. Thanks, Pratik. I think um, uh, it probably is safe to say that we're seeing a shift in uh, increased criminalization of corporate crimes or economic offenses. Uh, it's all over the news. It started with the big banking frauds and uh, the willful defaulters. And that has kind of changed the mentality of uh, prosecutors, of the enforcement authorities, and even the judiciary to a large extent. And they are looking at corporate crimes, economic offenses with renewed um, vigor, and uh, the scrutiny has become more. And that has kind of penetrated in the way the legislations are being framed. For example, if you look at the Prevention of Corruption Act and the recent amendments in 2018, uh, you will see that the ambit of what is corruption is slowly being widened and it is touching upon private corruption as well. And um, there is no wonder that um, increased spotlight is uh, on uh, private as well as public corruption and economic offenses, other economic offenses such as fraud. So in, in terms of what we are seeing in trends, um, banking frauds is, is one uh, area that obviously has uh, come to fore. Uh, we are also seeing a lot of instances uh, being reported, uh, not to say that these instances were not there previously, but they're being increasingly reported now of um, um, uh, financial frauds within uh, a company or within a uh, an organization, employee theft, kickbacks, private corruption. Um, these are uh, increasingly being reported and investigated uh, by either subsidiaries of uh, listed foreign companies or Indian companies with uh, uh, their own listing and disclosure requirements, or for that matter, even private companies where new management styles have come up and new processes and systems have been designed, uh, which uh, look at uh, financial frauds and potential financial frauds uh, with a lot more focus than previously. Thanks, Prashant. Devina, can you give us a couple of examples of the types of matters you have been called in to support on? Sure, Pratik. Um, as you can imagine, financial misconduct can take several forms. Um, we recently supported a client on an investigation that dealt with financial misreporting and fictitious transactions. So what we discovered through the course of our investigation was that revenue was being shown as accrued in the company's accounts, which was completely unsupported by sales or deliveries. And, you know, this presented inflated monthly revenue figures and an inaccurate picture of the company's finances. Um, we found that fictitious orders, um, you know, fictitious client orders were actually being created to support and validate this fraud. And that was how it was being perpetrated. And there was obviously a gap then between the actual client orders and the fictitious orders in the ERP system. And we found that employees involved were maintaining actual client records of their ERP system and reverse engineering any new client orders to match the fictitious orders on the system. 
Um, in another instance, our client discovered that goods that were indicated in the company's records as being outsourced in entirety to a vendor were being supplied back to the company in a semi-finished state and then being fully finished on company premises using company resources. So this suggests overpayment and potentially a kickback to employees complicit in this fraud. Um, we've also supported on a number of instances of data theft. So, you know, employees who are moving to a competitor or who've started a competing business have taken company proprietary and confidential data on their way out by copying it onto a pen drive or emailing it to a personal email address. And, you know, this is something that's particularly critical now that everyone is working remotely and we have less robust data security controls in place and increased use of personal devices. And, you know, if you're a company that um, deals with data from the EU or the US, this type of fraud also has very serious privacy breach implications for you. Um, just to round off this answer, actually, to add something here, the pandemic has changed the way we work globally. And this might impact the classification of fraud. Because in India, we're used to a physical office space with, you know, your manager sitting a desk away. There's multiple checks and balances in this uh, physical office. But now, of course, this has changed and we are reliant on self-regulation and self-discipline. And this could impact what we would typically identify as a misconduct and malfeasance. Uh, for instance, a spouse accessing an employee's work phone or laptop would give the spouse access to confidential and proprietary company data. Um, but, you know, this might not be driven by fraud, fraudulent elements. It might simply be negligence or, you know, completely unintentional. Um, there may still be elements of fraud involved, of course. Um, and we have seen instances where a third party has used an employee's work phone to send fake employment offers. But, you know, consider whether, in fact, it is an intentional fraudulent act. And how were these frauds detected? Sure, Pratik, let me take that one. Um <clears throat> Typically via whistleblower alerts, um, these could be employees uh, who are good Samaritans within the company or they could be nosy employees or they could be employees who are uh, on their way out and uh, they don't have a great relationship with some of the managers or the people who they're accusing of fraud. Typically, these arise because some employee has um, you know, uh, flagged it off. Uh, it could also be, in some instances, competitors, for example, kickbacks and corruption. We've seen a lot of instances where in bidding processes or procedures where a competitor loses to uh, a, a company, then that competitor raises flags um, and that leads to an investigation, both internal and external. Sometimes also it is... Um, linked to other investigations, formal investigations, like tax investigations or tax uh, evasion investigations by the government. So in, in some instances, in especially uh, involving uh, agents, for example, in India, we've seen that monies have been paid outside of India and uh, the tax authorities have investigated the agents uh, for non -de not declaring that money in India for tax purposes. And that has triggered uh, a, a separate investigation under the Prevention of Corruption Act or under the Anti-Money Laundering Act, which in turn has triggered an internal investigation for the company because obviously somebody in the company is complicit with these agents. So typically it's via uh, the uh, whistleblowers or a, or a, or a uh, separate investigation which cross-triggers uh, an internal investigation. In most instances, when um, these matters are escalated to a law firm, an, ex an outside counsel, uh, that means that the internal and external audit functions also have failed to 
you know their 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 entire purpose is to check these things they have failed as well that raises an interesting question of conflict one and secondly it also raises a question uh, of whether the scope of investigation should include the audit department as well in some instances so uh, it's quite an interesting uh, kind of exercise when these frauds are detected uh, via whistleblowers and not via the internal checks and balances of the company just following on from that devina what is the legal protection available to whistleblowers in india uh sure prateek um unfortunately the short answer is that there is no general legal protection offered to whistleblowers india unfortunately just doesn't have a specific whistleblowing legislation although there has been one in the works for ages it just was never implemented so it is ultimately up to the entity itself to put a protocol in place to provide security to the person making a disclosure and this typically will include anonymity and safeguards against victimization to essentially encourage reporting of malpractices um that said there are certain specialist laws like listing regulations insider trading regulations um even the banking laws that apply to private sector and foreign banks they do require entities that they cover to formulate a whistleblower policy but again the specifics of that policy are left up to the entity itself thanks devina prashant have you got anything to add in here Sure, Pratika. I think I'd like to make two points here. The first point is um, uh, it's unfortunate, uh, as Devina pointed out, that there is no whistleblower protection in India. But typically, listed companies uh, are outside of India whose subsidiaries are involved in investigations. There is a flow down of the whistleblower protection that is uh, applicable globally because those listed companies are then governed by the listing regulations or whistleblower protection of their home countries so there's a there's a measure of protection available if you're working for a subsidiary of a us listed company or a dax listed company or a cac listed company for example the other area where we've seen some amount of whistleblower protection is where companies with management who feel that um, there is a strong requirement for whistleblower protection for the good of the company and therefore uh, it nothing stops an indian company or uh, any other you know non listed company or unlisted company to also have a whistleblower protection policy and implement it it just needs the will and the procedure and the process to implement uh, you know being defined properly So now let's talk a little about the process. When a fraud is reported and BTG is brought in, what are your priorities and processes? So Pratik, our first step when we are brought in to conduct a legal investigation is to ask the client whether they've assessed whether the incident that triggered the investigation is in fact a fraud and whether then that fraud is business critical. Because if it isn't, there may not be the need for a full-fledged investigation and a fact-finding exercise may be enough. which the company could actually even manage internally and you know this acquires um greater importance in the time of the pandemic like i was discussing earlier um an investigation becomes critical when it affects the business of the company so for instance it requires disclosure or reporting to regulators or if it puts company assets at risk so this could be real assets and and real property but also intellectual property so you know if the company is dealing with customer data and that customer data has been leaked or if a number of employees are involved so for instance the financial misreporting incident incident that i mentioned um it didn't involve you know one or two black sheep it was quite widespread um if it is a recurring modus operandi so again you know for the 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 kickbacks incident that i'd mentioned payment for finished products and receiving semi finished products was happening month on month um and you know all of these indicate a vulnerability prevalent across the system 
So we help the company assess these factors and and other factors um, and come to a determination as to whether this is something that they want to conduct a full-fledged investigation on. And what are the next steps once the assessment is done? Well, the primary task of the law firm and the company in the first instance would be to assess and classify the threat and then to assess the scope of the investigation. And the scope is critical because you have to keep in mind that an investigation can be very disruptive to the business. You know, it's not an easy task for the business to carry on as usual when there are a number of lawyers walking around the office premises or contacting employees asking uncomfortable questions. So the scope needs to be targeted and contained. And, you know, typically what we look at when determining scope is the point of origin of the risk or, you know, the the entry of the risk to the company and property and how it affects the company and property, Um, the people involved in the fraud, uh, internal and external systems affected, whether um, notifications are required either to regulators or customers or, you know, if notifications need to be made to service providers or, or vendors, essentially, you know, the level of disruption as well. And uh, additionally, timing is key. So this is typically if reporting re- requirements are triggered, um, it's critical that the assessment classification and notification is done within the first 48 to 72 hours. Of course, this is just a you know a benchmark. It could vary because different regulations have different timelines. Uh, but equally, it's critical not to disclose too early or too much without having all the facts at hand. So ultimately, this means that the investigation and the pace of investigation becomes very important. Thanks, Devina. Prashant, how do investigations work in India in terms of actual investigations? Well, Pratik, I don't know whether this is how investigations work only in India. I'm I'm assuming this is how it works uh, pretty much everywhere. But what we do in BTG is um, uh, look at the hard evidence first. It's it's the first prong of a two-pronged approach. And when I say hard evidence, uh, this means working with IT forensics or accounting forensic experts and you know, cost accountants to collect the relevant information. This could be the money trail, historic email reviews, invoices, the ERP, looking at the enterprise resource management uh, software and the entries therein for the relevant invoices or for the relevant material that comes in or has gone out. The inventory, you know, depending on the fraud that has been committed, there could be various types of evidence that one needs to collect. So the first uh, bit of action really is to collect the evidence. And to do that, if it's come by a whistleblower, the whistleblower's role becomes key because the whistleblower would have already collected or would know where such information is available in order to start the process at least. So that's the trigger point really. Once we get a bit of the information and all the information is not collected at one go, as you can imagine, we get a bit of that information. It's like finding a trail. Then we collect more documents and more information leading from one document to another document to another invoice. And that process uh, takes its own time. But as Devina mentioned, it is key to make sure that we don't get bogged down in the detail and lose the big picture. So we have to keep in mind that timing is critical and we need to collect this information as soon as possible. It's also tricky to do IT forensics because IT forensics on emails or on records, IT records, works on the basis of key search words. And that is where I think judgment comes into an extent where we identify the kind of keywords if there are projects in which fraud have been crea- uh, has been commit uh, or potentially suspected then the code names for those projects could be the uh, you know search patterns or it could be an individual who could be a search pattern so there are various permutations and combinations which we would use um, to gather the evidence and uh, it may be sometimes 
hard to gather all the evidence but you know it is it is very important to get a certain amount of evidence to give you a steer and and formulate your questions for the next prong which is the interviews once we have that hard evidence typically a pattern emerges typically you see three or four employees or five employees being involved um in all of these emails that point towards an alleged fraud now we identify those employees and then now we have interviews for each of these employees with each of these employees the interview questionnaire follows what we call the funnel method uh, we set the context and start the questions very broad and then we ask them very pointed questions um with the evidence that we've collected confronting them with the evidence that we've collected sometimes what happens is when we ask them very broad questions they give an answer which they feel is the right answer to give in at, you know for that question but very soon when we confront them with the hard evidence that answer is either proven wrong or it is not the right answer and then there is a hesitation or there is some sort of a discomfort that is a pattern that we look out for as well as you can Im- imagine this is a crucial step because it involves a lot of agility and judgment because we mean we may need to reformulate questions and re-strategize based on the interviewee's response and you can imagine the complications when there are multiple rounds of interviews being conducted between uh, across various employees and multiple rounds with each in- individual employee as well but with the hard evidence and the judgment which is based on the answers given by the interviewees um, typically the hard evidence combined with the judgment uh, which we make based on the answers given by the interviewees uh, leads to a sort of an interim conclusion that interim conclusion can be black can be white but quite often there are gray areas and that's where the judgment the policies of the firm uh, what is sufficient for uh, uh, action to be taken what are the thresholds of uh, integrity and propriety that a firm the, that a company follows what set out in its policies all of those things come into play uh, to make a final determination prashant uh, what is unique about fraud investigations in india well i think the most unique thing today is the pandemic as uh, devina earlier pointed out Uh, systems are very much dependent on checks and balances and processes and a lot of those checks balances and processes are being tested uh, they are under stress um a lot of the workarounds that are officially allowed by uh, companies given the pandemic and the new work from home model uh, may themselves be susceptible to uh, misuse and um, unless and until new checks and balances and uh, are are found for these work workarounds in the new working model i think the pandemic will continue to play uh, a, a material role in uh, catalyzing uh, potentially the fraud uh, being committed and one should not forget the human element here as well which is a lot of employees are under a lot of financial stress as well and uh, as we've seen uh, you know the basis of criminal law is motive and uh, there's no better motive than um, uh, so i think they better uh, as we've seen in criminal law the most important thing is motive and there is a very unfortunate motive uh, but a strong one in the form of a, the pandemic creating economic uh, stress the other um, element that we've noticed in india which is very unique is the extremely hierarchical approach in some of the organizations the top down approach that uh, whatever the ceo says or the md says goes uh whatever the uh, uh, ma- uh the the person just below the md says goes for the 
others for the rest um so it's a it's a very top down approach and and therefore when we investigate frauds we see that the junior employees typically point to a senior employee and actually sometimes hesitate to point to a senior employee while while during the interviews even though directions may have come from a senior employee therefore we always adopt a bottom up approach in interviews in india where we interview the junior most employees because normally these junior employees would have had either the blessing or active participation in the form of directions being issued from senior employees uh, just to jump in here actually prashant um you know in our experience another element of hierarchy ties in with the confidentiality of the investigation itself because if the hierarchy is so ingrained that the first step for a junior employee is to report his knowledge of the investigation or the fact that you know he was interviewed to his supervisor um it could compromise the entire confidentiality of the investigation if the supervisor is himself a suspected actor and you know this this could often be um driven by insecurity or anxiety of his own position within the company when you know when talking about the junior employees so it it does seem to help if someone at a higher level within you know the indian entity or even the parent entity informs the junior employee to cooperate you know so that he doesn't feel like he's being singled out or that you know he himself is solely in trouble absolutely devina i fully agree with you and there is a third element to this which is uh not often but but in in a number of instances we have seen senior employees managers covering for each other uh, you know it might be active uh, cooperation uh, to commit a cra- uh, to, uh, to commit a fraud uh, but that is at one level but there is another level where there is passive uh, or tacit acceptance or knowledge that the fraud is being committed but the senior uh, one senior manager doesn't talk about it um, or doesn't confront the other senior manager because they are all looking out for each other now this is obviously a broad generalization uh, but we have indeed observed this in a few instances where it has become difficult for us to um, kind of crack the uh, 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 the coterie so to speak of the senior managers and um, uh, get to a stage where we are comfortable saying that one or two or three of these individuals are involved and that presents its own challenges to the management of the company and um, lastly i cannot but uh, you know kind of point out that the lack of whistleblower protection is a an a big gap in uh, today in india's uh, you know legal system in terms of investigations of financial frauds or economic offenses or corporate crime i think without a robust whistleblower policy a lot of the crime, uh, economic offenses being committed within companies will remain buried uh, for the various reasons that devina and i have just explained devina once the investigation is completed what are the next steps um well pratik the next step for a law firm would be to write the report um again this is fairly sensitive because the evidence needs to be presented in the right format um it's quite likely that the different actors involved in the misconduct will have different levels of involvement and guilt so the evidence can't all just be clubbed together and presented with one recommendation um typically btg classifies findings based on interviews and hard evidence into three buckets so clear and hard evidence leading to a conclusion of guilt beyond any reasonable doubt uh secondly evidence that is circumstantial it doesn't quite meet the parameters of guilt beyond any reasonable doubt but it certainly indicates complicity and finally evidence that doesn't indicate any guilt so the actors are cleared of any potential misconduct allegation 
uh, these classifications will be brought out in the report along with our supporting findings and then handed over to the management. Um, and also the management typically will ask for a presentation of our findings and we'll take them through this along with the um, IT and accounting forensic experts who are part of the evidence collection team. Um, and then finally, once we've done this, we provide legal recommendations. So this could be um, action required under regulations like disclosure or reporting to the regulator or internal actions like termination processes and plugging process gaps that allowed for the fraud. Um, and finally, full legal, um, civil and criminal action and support with prosecution going forward. So this could be injunction to restrain the competitor from using the company's proprietary data or a suit for damages and, you know, other action that's essentially led by the findings of the investigation. I think we have time for one last question. Prashant, it would be interesting to know how reporting and prosecution is different in India as compared to other jurisdictions. Um, I think reporting, Devina has covered. So let me just touch upon prosecution, keeping in mind time as well. Um, in India, there's no concept of punitive damages or very limited recognition of the concept of limit, uh, punitive damages by court. So even if there is a fraud that is detected, then there are employees who, have, uh, you know, we, we find are uh, uh, complicit in that fraud. Uh, one cannot expect to recover uh, huge amounts of money as punitive damages from these employees. Um, so that kind of, you know, give, uh, limits the remedy available to the company um, that has suffered the fraud. On the other hand, if you were to look at criminal prosecution, Yes, it is possible financial fraud uh, qualifies as a fraud under the Indian Penal Code. There are other um, uh, sections of the Indian Penal Code that can be uh, used. If it has been, if fraud has been committed using IT resources, then the IT Act can come into play. But the issue with this is what, what, if you want to criminally prosecute anyone in India, you have to lodge a police complaint or go to the criminal magistrate's court and uh, who in turn asks the police to investigate it. And that investigation process itself is a very lengthy process and very painful process, to be very honest, in terms of the administrative burden it places on uh, the company as well as the accused. And um, it takes years and years uh, in, in normal circumstances to get to a, a final uh, position in terms of the criminal investigation. Therefore, most companies end up cleaning house and uh, terminating the employment of the employees who are uh, uh, accused or who have been found guilty of uh, fraud, and it stops there. Uh, but typically, most companies don't want to disrupt their business, and uh, that is more than sufficient for them as, a, as an objective. Thanks, Prashant. Thanks, Devina. I thank you all on behalf of BTG Legal for tuning into this podcast. We look forward to bringing to you more such podcasts on various legal and regulatory updates in the future. Thank you.